Hey y'all, welcome to Living the Abundant Life with Jenny Schmidt. I'm excited to have Greg Haswell, Senior Pastor of Northlands Church with us. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit. I think there's been a lot of different denominations in the in the Christian body have a lot of thoughts around the gifts of the Spirit. And it's something that was confusing and unclear for me and for a lot of my walk with the Lord. But really, I've learned so much from you, Greg. And I'd love for you to just really share with us um, from Scripture, like, what are the gifts? Are they for today? And how are they just so essential and important to experiencing the fullness, the overflowing, abundant life of Christ today? So welcome. Yeah, hi. <laughs> hi, Jenny. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're with us. Love this question. And it was one of the questions that the Corinthians church wrote to Paul and said, Paul, could you help us with this? We, we're having a little confusion here. And so Paul writes them in, in chapter 3 and says, your baby is in Christ. And then he writes in chapter 11 and he says, your meetings are doing more harm than good. And then in chapter 12, he says, now let's talk about spiritual gifts. And then uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all kind of tied in on the topic of spiritual gifts. Uh, which is very interesting. So basically, uh, uh, Paul is answering, responding to a question from the Corinthians, explain spiritual gifts to us. So he starts um, and uh, he says to them in, in chapter 12 of Corinthians 3, 4, he says there are different kinds of gifts and there are different kinds of service and there are different kinds of working. So there are different kinds of gifts. And one of the things that I used to get confused about is there's so many different kinds of gifts that I was like, well, I don't know how to use these. And then there was some theology floating around that said, well, some of these gifts are not for today. And so, so let me just try and bring some clarity uh, as a, Focus as through it. <laughs> we'll dive into it. Yeah. Basically each member of the Godhead has fashioned, designed a set of gifts to benefit the body of Christ. So God the Father has a set of gifts uh, most, most often associated with him. Jesus had a set of gifts most often associated with him. And the Holy Spirit has a set of gifts most often associated with him. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule because uh, the Father is always the Father. Jesus is always the one who pays and the Holy Spirit is always the one who executes. So they're intermingled. You can't separate Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when you read in the Scripture, there is a set of gifts called charisma, which is a Greek word, uh, which means grace gifts, uh, okay. gifts of grace. And the scripture says God gives these. So there's various scriptures that talk about this. Romans 12 is one and 1 Peter 4. Now, these are gifts that have very, very different functions and uh, are what some, sometimes people call them motivational gifts. These are things that are innate abilities that people have. So you'll find that there's, there's some kind of gifts like uh, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving generously, leadership, showing mercy, uh, communication, uh, administration. These are the kinds of gifts that we're talking about. Now, in these gifts, 1 Peter 4.10 is a very interesting scripture because it uses the same word charisma. He um, says, each one should use whatever gift they have received, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one should use whatever gift they received to serve others. I left that part out, to serve others. 
Mm. So uh, if your gift is leadership or administration or service or teaching or showing mercy or being hospitable, then the, the Bible's very clear about that. You should use that grace, that ability that's on your life to serve other people. Now, uh, the Bible also makes it clear that everybody has these graces. God gives grace to everybody. So everybody has these grace gifts in their life and uh, should, um, under mandate of Scripture, be diligently using those gifts to serve other people. All right? Yep. So those are the gifts that the Father gives. Now, there are some denominations when you talk about gifts, they would latch onto this. It's almost like the, if you can imagine there's a there's a main line, there's like a, a main line of water being delivered to a church, life-giving water, and they'll open up the faucet on the top of this main line and said, yes, all of these gifts are welcome in our church. And they'll open up all the individual, yes, to leadership, yes, to administration, yes, to showing mercy, yes, to hospitality. And, and they'll love those gifts. They'll practice them. They'll be aware of them. They'll cooperate with them. They'll eagerly desire them. They'll encourage their members to be diligent with them. And they will receive the health and life and the beauty that God the Father designed for those gifts to bring. And there is profound life and profound blessing. And so uh, the question with these gifts is, which way is grace flowing? If uh, we get somebody up on the stage who says, I really feel like I'd like to sing a song that I feel like the Lord gave me, but they're tone deaf and they <laughs> horribly, then uh, they're killing us softly with their song and the whole church is having to sit there and grace is flowing the wrong way. We're having to be gracious to them. Um, but if you put somebody up on the stage with the same heart for God, but who is just a skilled musician or singer and they minister that same song, grace flows the right way. Grace flows from them onto everybody they're ministering to. Yeah. It's the same with leadership. If you have a meeting with a person who's in the leadership seat is not grace to lead, uh, typically grace rose the wrong way. Everybody's a little bit frustrated. The meeting didn't go anywhere. We didn't connect. But put somebody in the leadership chair who is graced to lead, suddenly everything seems to work. There's order, there's focus, there's clarity, there's joy, there's, um, there's excitement. So an important thing in a church is to figure out which way grace is flowing, where people are gifted, and to encourage them to serve using that grace. When we started the church, we said that this was the rule. Everybody serves because we were moving, you know, sound equipment and chairs and everybody had to pack out everything. So everybody serves. And then one day I saw a man who was a really gifted leader, uh, the real gift of uh, he could, he could uh, move people. And uh, I saw him stacking chairs. And I thought to myself, well, that's good. He's not above stacking chairs. He was CEO. He's not above stacking chairs. But then I thought to myself, but if he came to me and said, I can only give you one hour of my time this week, I would not want him to spend that hour stacking chairs. What I'd rather he spent that hour doing was using the grace that's on his life, this ability to help focus and lead people. I'd rather he give me an hour of diligent leadership than an hour of chair stacking. So we yeah, absolutely in our church from everybody serves to everybody serves using the grace on their life in their grace gifting. And that's exactly what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Each one should use whatever grace gift they have received to serve others, faithfully administrating that grace in its various forms. So we ask the question, which way is grace flowing? Which is your A seat in the bus? Which is the best place? Because I've discovered that when I'm doing what I was born to do. Not only am I 
do I come alive internally? But grace flows from me onto other people. And so if we want a lot of grace, like it says of the early church, and much grace was on them all. If we want grace flowing around our church, let's get this sorted out. Let's get the leaders leading and the teachers teaching and the singers singing and the people who are hospitable being hospitable. Let's get everybody in their correct seats and grace flows. That's so good, Greg. I, I mean, I, I think yeah. that's that's huge. Understanding this flow of grace because the way when di- when grace is flowing the right direction, life abounds. I mean, that's what we're after, oh, right? Yeah. We, like you said, we come alive, but then everyone around us comes alive as well, and oh, yeah. we model something that is invitational, right? Like they see us alive and, and doing the thing we were made to do, and it makes them say, "Hey, Lord, what was I made to do?" Because I want to be just as alive as that person over there. I mean, I've, I've I've watched that in our church family and it has so inspired me that there is something that I was made for. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if you have to wonder how many people are sitting in church pews that have something to bring, Yeah. but the only thing they're asked to do is attend a meeting and give some money. Uh, And I think for the people who are, who are called, who have been graced, let's say to be generous, that can be a blessing to them, but to the people who are, called into the meeting who maybe have a gift of hospitality uh, or maybe have a gift of teaching or maybe have a, you know, one of the other gifts administration, let's say um, they are going to be uh, hungering to use their gift because God put it in them and he requires them to be faithful with it. And so I, I love this idea of grace gifts and them flowing. And I mean, I think some denominations are, are much better at others at, at, focusing on these gifts. In fact, there are some denominations who believe that these are the only gifts that you should function in. Mm. The second set of gifts are the gifts that Jesus gives. And this is found in Ephesians 4, and it says it was he who gave, talking about Jesus, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And uh, so you, you, you have to ask, so you ask some questions of the text. Who gives them? It's Jesus. How many are there? There are five of them. What is their purpose? Well, the scripture says um, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, And you say, well, how long are they valid for? And this is an important question because some people believe that not all of these gifts are valid today. But the scripture says, so if you ask the question, how long does the scripture say these five gifts should be valid? It says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, and we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't think we're, we're not, there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. Yeah. So, that, so these five, Jesus said, would, would remain valid until. Now, there, there's a doctrine that's come up and said, no, 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 the apostles, the apostolic age died when Jesus, you know, the last of Jesus 12 that he appointed died because Jesus only appointed 12 apostles. Well, the scripture talks about those 12 as having a unique and special place. They were the apostles that Jesus called the friends of the groom. When they said, Jesus, why don't your your disciples fast? He said, how can the friends, the attendants of the groom fast while he's with them? Jesus said, I'm at my engagement feast and you're telling me I should be fasting. These are my attendants. These are the best men, as it were, of, of Jesus, the attendants of the groom. He said, they can't be fasting. When, when, 
they went to John the Baptist and they said, John, because the whole crowd has gone over to Jesus, that man that you baptized. And John had a strange answer because he used the same analogy of a, of a wedding feast. He said, yep, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. He said, my job, I was the best man. I, I was the guy who was supposed to prepare everything. He said, but now that the, the groom has made his entrance, it's the most foolish thing in the world that I should be between the bride and the groom. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. Of course, the bride has gone over to the groom. It's his time. I kept telling you I was supposed to prepare. So there, was, there is this, this picture in the scripture that emerges that Jesus and John the Baptist and his disciples understood that there, there had to be a specific group of people that Jesus appointed while he was alive on earth, and their job was to attend Jesus. They had to be Jews. They had to be alive during the time that Jesus was alive, and they had to be men. And they were the groomsmen for Jesus, the attendants of the groom. They were called the apostles of the Lamb in the book of Revelations, and they had to be 12. They have, they have a responsibility to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why the, the Scripture is very diligent to say that when Judas hanged himself, that they appointed somebody else so that there were 12. And on the day of Pentecost, the Scripture says, Peter stood up with the 11. So that th there is a very distinct number of the apostles of the Lamb, and they had to be 12. But then the Bible says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended, when Jesus went back up to heaven, he gave gifts and some to be apostles. And so there are apostles that Jesus appointed while he was on the earth, but then there are apostles that Jesus appointed subsequently when he went back up to heaven. And the Bible mentions a number of those in the book of Acts, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Demas, Luke, Titus, uh, Andronicus, Junius. There are, there are a number of names like this in the book of Acts that are all called apostles that were clearly not one of the 12. And so these apostles are the attendants of the bride. They are gifts that are given by the bridegroom, when he went back to prepare a place for his bride, he gave the bride gifts. This was all part of the understanding of Jewish culture. And when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that was a very deliberate and distinct statement that a Jewish groom would say at his engagement feast to his intended bride. And he would cut a covenant with her at the engagement feast which they would not consummate, uh, but he would go under the supervision of his father to prepare a place so that uh, not only did they have a home, but he had enough finance so that he could be a, a husband that could provide. And it was not under his uh, supervision. He couldn't decide when he could come and collect his bride. It was under his father's eye. Nobody knew when he would come back. It was when the father deemed that he had uh, enough provision and the house was suitable that the father said, okay, son, you're ready. Jesus said, I don't know when I'll return, not the angels of God, but only my father knows, but I am going to prepare a place for you and I will come back for you. And in the Jewish culture at that feast, he would give gifts, he would give jewelry. The jewelry was called the, the deposit to guarantee what that I'll come back. And the Bible says he gave us his spirit as a deposit to guarantee and then if he was a wealthy man, if it was, especially if he was royalty, he would leave skilled servants uh, to attend and to make sure. You see Daniel uh, experienced this, Esther experienced this in, in right. royal circles. So when Jesus went back to prepare a place for his bride, he gave gifts to his bride, attendants of the bride. These are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their job is to be skilled servants to equip his bride for his return. 
That's exactly what Ephesians 4 is talking about. So these are the, these are the gifts that Jesus gave. Now, the Bible says he gave some to be. Not everybody is called to these places, but only some are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It, as I said, it's become fashionable in, in the modern church to say, to read that scripture as he gave some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right. We get a little weirded out by the word prophets and apostles yeah. um, in Western culture. Can you just define those and just kind of give a little clarity on what is an apostle and a prophet? Yeah. An, an apostle is somebody who uh, is called to lay down their life most to create um, structure, uh, foundations, uh, foundations of uh uh, of an understanding of the gospel, foundations of the personhood of Jesus Christ, and to call the church to an external view uh, that we have a global perspective. So uh, apostles are always about trying to create structure and focus and um, build an entire culture that can go and take on. The word originally is from, from the Greeks and then the Romans took it over. It meant the, the, the general who was sent to colonize someplace after they'd conquered, his job was to colonize and make it Greek, build Greek culture in the city, create um, uh, you know a, a city. And, and the apostles of God are called to come and create heaven's structure on earth. So Prophets. is that a, is that a modern day missionary or is that a pastor? How, how do we yeah. wrap our head around that? I think sometimes when, when um, just like we have most people in church today who are, who are, have a, a full-time call from God, we call most of them pastor because we just don't have another name. We just, if, a, if they have a full-time salary, we call them a pastor. But right. many of those people are evangelists by gifting. And, and some of them are teachers, and some of them are apostles, and some of them are prophets. Their primary wiring internally is that of an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. But we tend to call them all pastor because that's our sort of catch-all name for anybody who's receiving a salary full-time in a church. But so when these people are based in a local church, we, we typically call them pastor. They serve in that role. They have an oversight kind of responsibility in a local church and so you find that peter says this in peter 5 at that stage he's been an apostle for about 35 years he writes to the to the pastors of the church he, he says he says i write to you elders i who am a fellow elder so peter is now based previously he'd been traveling between churches he'd been doing a lot of apostolic travel now he was based in a local church and his service in the local church was as an elder. Um, so uh, when it's translocal, when they're traveling more and more, they're recognized more as an apostle. When they're typically based in a local church, most people would recognize them as a pastor. And so that's pretty much what's happening today. Prophets, likewise, are people who tend to uh, uh, have an ability not only just to hear God's voice, but to equip others to hear God's voice. Mm. And um, evangelists, we all know some evangelists, you know, and there's been some great examples of of godly men and who've just done profound things. I think Billy Graham, for example. Absolutely. Everybody knows Billy Graham, we'd celebrate him. So, so evangelists seem sort of normal. Uh, pastors, everybody's got a pastor and teachers. We all know some Bible teachers that we prefer. So I think, you know, that's, that's that. But those set of gifts are the gifts that Jesus gives, and they are people. There are, there are people with a certain internal structure that Jesus gives to his bride. They are skilled servants given to the bride to equip her 
for Jesus' return. So is there is there a hierarchy? Like, is, I feel like we kind of treat like there's a hierarchy in the gifts, you know, like hospitality and evangelists like aren't really ranked equally. <laughs> is that <laughs> scriptural or are these all equal? How, how would you speak to that? No, I think you have to understand that the gifts that Jesus gives are servants. And so their primary role, their primary manifestation should be servants, service to the bride of Christ, not yeah. lordship over the bride of Christ. One thing that Jesus said about leadership in 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 13, he said um, that God gave me authority to build you up, but not to tear you down. Wow. So Jesus said it, Paul said it, and Peter said it. Jesus said, "Not don't lord it over. The, the Gentiles lord it over the people that they're leading. I don't want this to be the way it is with you. Paul said in Corinthians, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for our joy. And Peter said uh, in 1 Peter 5, don't lord it over other people, but serve serve them. So I think um, the fundamental issue here is when it comes to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, if they take a lordship, a, an attitude of that everybody else should, should um, you know, that they're somehow higher in rank, that's a pagan way of thinking about it. And Jesus discouraged the church from that. When uh, we uh, receive their service, which Jesus equated with leadership. Jesus said, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. So the the more effective those people are at serving the body of Christ, the more effective their leadership tends to be. Uh, I'm not talking about some people, you know, there are some people who feel uh, that they need to be dominated and, and that there is a certain portion of the body of Christ that responds well to dominant, dominant leadership. But I don't believe that's what Jesus was calling for at all. Well, so, and he even modeled it, right? By, he, by washing feet. I mean, he modeled servant leadership like no other. Yeah. So there's a, there's a set of gifts who are skilled servants. And I think they should, they should, um, they should pursue their highest uh, manifestation in service to the bride of Christ. Um, that's what Paul said. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Mm. Uh, elsewhere, Paul said, I, I've promised you to one husband to Christ, but I'm afraid that somehow by the serpent's cunning, your minds might be deceived. And, and he, so he said, I'm an attendant of the bride. My job is to, is to protect the bride and to, and to, uh, I've promised you to one husband. He gave me a responsibility to watch over you and, and equip you so that when he comes back, you'll be ready. So we have these the gifts the Father gives, we, the gifts that Jesus gives, and then there are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and those are found in Corinthians 12 and uh, in Corinthians 14, and those are called manifestation gifts. Um, it comes from the Greek word phanerosis. <clears throat> the, the Greek word in, in Ephesians 4 when it's talking about the gifts that Jesus gives is a Greek word called doma, which means literally a gift. That it's a present that Jesus gave to his bride. He gave him skilled servants. Mm. The, the, the word used of what the Holy Spirit brings is called phanerosis, the manifestations of the Spirit. And these gifts are given to make the nature and the will of Jesus manifest in a service. And so these include a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, uh, the demonstration of miracles and of faith, you know, and healings. So these are manifestation gifts. Now, what does 
become uh, again popular in some circles is to say that these gifts no longer work today and really that's taken from a scripture in corinthians 13 where because remember we said paul in dealing with all three sets of these gifts talks in corinthians 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 and he in chapter 13 he talks about he, he, he's bringing this juxtaposition between uh where we are right now and where we will be when we see jesus face to face and so he keeps juxtaposing these two, and he says, you know, where there are prophecies, talking about now, they'll cease, and where there are tongues right now, they'll be stilled, and where there's knowledge, it, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, Paul says, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. Um, and so he talks about being a child, and he had to put away childish things. Um, but he says, for now, he juxtaposes it again. Now we see only a reflection, a reflection in the mirror. We don't see the whole picture, Paul says. We see little glimpses, but then we shall see face to face. We'll be face to face with Jesus. Now we only know in part. Then I'll know fully, even as I'm fully known. So this constant juxtaposition is what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, when I'm standing face to face with Jesus, I'm not going to need you to prophesy. And a word of encouragement to me. Right. It's, he'll be right in front of me. Uh, you know, yeah. tongues is not going to be necessary in an interpretation of tongues because Jesus will be speaking to me face to face. So um, there is a moment when all of these manifestation gifts will, will, will cease to be important. But for now, the Holy Spirit gives us manifestation gifts and we're supposed to function in them. So the, the set of gifts that the Father gives, he gives to everybody. Everybody has their own group of gifts, and uh, you, you're supposed to administrate those faithfully. He, uh, Jesus gives some gifts to some people to be servants to the bride, and the Holy Spirit gives these gifts, and he makes them available to anybody who eagerly desires them. Mm. Because they're the gifts of the Holy Spirit and because he lives inside of you, everybody can function in all of these gifts uh, if you're open, the Holy Spirit will use you and invite you to use all of these gifts at different times. But the scripture says that not everybody is going to function in every gift in every meeting. And so the Holy Spirit will direct you severally as he wills, that the Holy Spirit is going to say, hey, bring a prophetic word or speak in tongues or here's a word of knowledge for you. And because if everybody in the meeting just had one minute of prophecy, most of the church, we, we'd go on for days just having, having people prophesy just a minute each. So obviously you can't have in a large meeting everybody, everybody functioning in every gift. So th there is this discipline that is required um, of people having learning the maturity of I can function in a gift, but is that gift the most appropriate thing right now in the meeting? That's why Paul says, I, he said, I speak more, in tongues more than all of you. He said, but in the church meeting, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because if I speak in 10,000 words in a tongue and you don't understand what I'm saying, it doesn't benefit you. Right. The gift is supposed to benefit, right? I mean, even that's the whole point. All yeah. three of the sets are supposed to be used to benefit others. And the result is that we also experiences this flow of grace and, and life in our own lives. But the expression of the gifts is always for the body, right? Uh, absolutely. In every, every instance when you, where you find these sets of gifts enumerated in the scriptures, the focus is always on blessing other people, serving the rest of the body, being a, a help in a ministry. The moment 
people use these gifts as a mechanism to try and make themselves look good or to benefit themselves. They're not understood the reason that, that God wants to give the gifts. They're always given for the benefit of other people. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I listen to the three sets of gifts, it seems like at least in our Western culture, it's really easy to wrap our heads around like innate abilities. We'd have a lot of personality tests and strength tests to help figure out like, what am I good at? What are my God-given abilities? So that's pretty easy for us to understand. And then we can so easily understand people who, um, you know, are pastors and, and leaders and, and teachers. And that's easy for us to kind of get our head around, but we get a little weirded out by expressions of the supernatural power of God, almost like they're not legit, but everything in scripture says like there is a, there is a supernatural realm. There is a prayer that heaven would invade earth, that the realities of heaven would actually invade this earth to draw people to their creator. Right. So if we don't, if we have no expression of supernatural power in a natural world, then, then where, where is that glory coming from? And that the point is to glorify the father. So, so why do we get weirded out here and, and how can we shift? Well, I think um, in each set of the gifts, if somebody's going to be obnoxious in the use of a gift, let's take the gift of leadership. Uh, I've known some people who have a strong gift of leadership on their life, but they're, they're quite arrogant and they're obnoxious. Yeah. And so while there is blessing in their leadership, there's also an ugly taste on it. Mm. And sometimes they, they hurt people and sometimes they make slaves of people. Um, and so the, the obnoxious use of a gift, the misuse, uh, the, the, the use of a gift to benefit myself and not others, that's always obnoxious no matter which set of gifts you're using. That's it's good. the same as you find somebody who's, you know, who's a pastor, but he's, he's not caring about the sheep, he's caring about himself. Uh, it, there's an obnoxious use of something that God designed to be beautiful and so any time if these gifts are used, like there's a pastor and he, he really just wants to be seen and he wants to be acknowledged, he wants to be hailed as wonderful, he's, he's, miss, he's missing out, he's using it in an obnoxious way. It's the same way if somebody gets up and prophesies and they really just want to be seen and they, you know, this is their moment and they, they don't care about um, other people, they just, you know, they think this is their moment. Um, in any set of the gifts, in any way, when somebody's being obnoxious, it, it's distasteful. Yeah, and the body of Christ true. tastes that and says, yeah, I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. So that's the whole point. I think that's why Paul says to these babies in Christ in Corinth, your meetings are doing more harm than good. Why? Because everybody's trying to impress somebody else with how deep and spiritual they are. The whole point of the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit is not to benefit me, but to benefit others. That's why Paul says, he said, if you speak in tongues in the church and nobody can interpret, be quiet. Why? Because he said, you can pray in tongues all the time at home and it'll benefit you tremendously. But if you're in the church, tongues is not going to be helpful unless there's a clear there's a clear interpretation of that tongue so that everybody can understand and respond. So the point of the manifestation gifts is not for personal benefit, but for public good. That's right. So the question that we measure it by, is this gift being producing public good. Because I think when the gifts function in a mature way, as what Paul says, um, if, if, you, if people start to prophesy in a meeting and it's mature, the, the unsafe people who've come to the meeting will say, wow, God is among you. That is weird because the secrets of their hearts will be revealed. 
Absolutely. I mean, we look at people who have legitimate, incredible, supernatural healing ministries, and we see those testimonies and we're like, God heals. Like this is, this is the power of God invading the realities of this earth. Like that we are, it has this awe and wonder response in us and we glorify God and we want to know and believe and trust in that God because it's bigger than us. Right. And, and so the gift should be, should be drawing that out, drawing that awe and wonder. But I think, I think that, you know, that showy, whether it's leadership or other gifts that, that kind of desire to be seen and, and, and showy, it doesn't just come from an insecurity, not like thinking that we're still having to earn some sort of approval. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so I think, I think here's the point is that if, if you, if you can get people, it's an immature expression of these gifts. I think I agree with Paul. They do more harm than good. Yeah. I mean, better to not, not than it's, it's not manifestation gifts alone. That's the cause of this problem. You know, you know, somebody who's, who's, uh, administration or, or one of those other gifts, one of, one of the, you know, apostle or prophet or evangelist. I mean, I know some obnoxious people who, who, who um, want their function to become their title mm. and are, are desperate to be heralded as, as, you know, an apostle or prophet because they think there's a hierarchy here and it makes them more important and it simply doesn't. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the, the big push is, is a call to a mature expression of all the gift sets. Because a mature, an immature expression, as Paul says to the Corinthians, you babies, your meetings are doing more harm than good. I need to talk to you about spiritual gifts. So this, this idea that we can grow and we can grow into a mature expression of the, of the spiritual gifts, that the, because again, when it comes to manifestation gifts, we have to recognize the fact that babies in Christ are functioning in them. That's what's happening in Corinth. So it's the, the fact that anybody can function in a manifestation gift does not speak to their depth of spirituality. Babies in Christ. Uh, when I was when I was in high school, we would lead people. There was a revival broke out in our school. We'd lead people to the Lord. They they we'd pray for them, baptism of the Holy Spirit. People would speak in tongues. And I was in a meeting where I just led two guys to the Lord. One spoke in tongues and the other one had an interpretation of the tongue and they were a few minutes older than the Lord. Babies in Christ can function in these gifts. This is not difficult. The question is, um, if we're going to, if we're going to see the the fullness and the joy and the abundant life that, that we keep talking about, we have to learn how to respond maturely to the Holy Spirit in these gifts. And as we do, this profound, we had a, a guy come to our church and somebody got up with a prophetic word during the meeting and just, it's, it's exactly what Paul said, the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. And this guy was convinced that his wife had come and told all his secrets and he got really mad with her. No. <laughs> He was like, he was looking at it and there was mumbling and he almost left the service because she had exposed him. And she, she said, I never told, he said, you've told them because that's exactly what Paul said would happen. Wow. Um, if, if there's a mature expression of those gifts and, um, it's almost like you get your mail read. <laughs> yeah, How do you exactly. know that? Well, it's God. I mean, God is speaking, but he's not speaking to condemn. He's speaking to encourage, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's speaking to bring health and life and change and beauty. Yeah. I'd love to say that when, when, we, when we're functioning in manifestation gifts, because the manifestation gifts work best when you eagerly desire them, because the last verse in Corinthians 12 and the first verse, verse in Corinthians 14 
Paul admonished. So chapter 12 of Corinthians, Paul, Paul is explaining spiritual gifts, and then he ends with um, eagerly desire spiritual gifts and follow the way of love. Then he goes into chapter 13 where he talks about love. And he ends chapter 13, chapter 14 begins with follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit work best when people eagerly desire them. Mm. That is, you're leaning forward, you're going, Holy Spirit, could you use me? And I've discovered that when I'm in that mode, when I'm uh, kind of got my eyes on the Holy Spirit and my ears are fully open, I'm eager. In that mode, I, I, I found a lot easier to function in these manifestation gifts. But the people who are skeptical or even worse, people who are scared or petrified of these gifts, yeah. they, the Holy Spirit's not going to force you. These gifts work when you cooperate, when you're eager, when you, when you want to work with the Holy Spirit. You can work in these gifts, and we've seen some just some beautiful and wonderful expressions of gifts and life-giving. So now, when we started this, we spoke about, you know, sort of let's imagine there are three main lines uh, uh, that that feed each of the sets of gifts, and people can open the, the the chief speaker on the top of the main line and say, yes, these gifts are allowed in our church. So some people will allow the, the, the grace gifts the Father gives, but they'll, they'll close the speaker on the other two because they don't understand them. Some people will open up the main line, but then they'll close off. Well, we, we believe in evangelists and pastors and teachers, but we don't believe in apostles and prophets, so we're going to switch those two off. Those are no longer allowed. And then they say, well, you know, all the manifestation gifts, those all died out, so we just switch off that main line. And so different denominations, some denominations will open up all the manifestation gifts, but when you when they'll close off administration, because mm-hmm. if, if, if you want to administrate anything, they say you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And so um, you know, different denominations have their different favorite set of gifts that they say, well, those are allowed, but the rest are disallowed. And I wonder, because that's where Paul goes at the end of Corinthians 14, he says, kind of wistfully, he, he mixes up all these different gift sets. And he says, um, all of these should be functioning in, in all of the church. But uh, they do require uh, some focus and some teaching and some practice and some elders to oversee and make sure that there, there is a mature expression of them in the church. Yeah, I think... Um... It's interesting. I love that kind of spigot analogy. That's really helpful for me. And it also helps us honor honor people in the body who have turned on and off different spigots, right? Because you still see this flow of God and flow of grace in the spigots that they've opened up. So you can honor like churches where, you know, this is flowing beautifully, but other things aren't. And I think sometimes you've always said, Greg, we don't have to say what we're not to say what we are. Like we don't have to focus on the negative or maybe what's been turned off in another body to honor them or to, to describe ourselves. And I think that's, that's really, really, key because this does get to be a touchy subject in denominations or you know in individuals and so there's no need for for awkwardness or offense like we always honor where we see the flow of grace and but there is this education in the scriptures that there is more and if if you trust i feel like it's like you know, I always say God's not a forceful lover. And you already said that he's not forceful. He's gentle. And he's like, if you'll take my hand and trust me, I'll take you into this area if you'd like to go there. But if you don't, like, I'm not going to withhold my kindness, my favor, my blessing, um, 
you know, my movement in your life, my speaking, our intimacy, he's not going to remove any of that, but there's, there is more if you want it. So that's really cool. And I think, can you help explain, I think it's sometimes easy to think, well, I'm kind of pigeonholed. Like this is my strength. You know, I'm an artist or I'm an admin and like, this is my like expression. I've turned on this spigot and then I, you know, I move in encouragement and prophecy and that's like my manifestation gift. So like I have, and like, that's it. And I I almost feel like sometimes it pigeonholes us. Like we're only good at admin or hospitality or spirit only flows through us in healings, but not in any other way. So can you talk a bit more about that eagerness and and maybe the availability of those gifts? Yeah. I, 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 yeah, well, I I think what what you said, I just love that I've been in churches, uh, you know, where, where people would be very different in a very different theological space than me, but God has used them to minister to me in tremendous ways. And I've tasted his grace and his kindness through them. And, so I just love any expression of the body of Christ. Yeah. When it comes to these gifts, as you, as you ask, um, I think, uh, you know, there are, there are going to be uh, some things that you're, some graces that you have. You may be great at hospitality. And, uh, you know, that's or great as, as a generous giver. You have the ability to generate income and give generously. Yeah. You know, there, there are many different, graces on people's lives and i think those should be celebrated i don't think you can be good at every one of the graces and that's why there's a body of christ that's why you need the body and i think it's deliberately why god didn't make us all completely perfect in every way uh, he wanted us to be dependent on one another and that's the content that the 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 flow of gifts always is put in the body uh, and so the body analogy is very closely tied in every set of gifts uh whenever it's mentioned you know, it's tied to the body analogy. So we, we have to form one body and we have to rely on one another. So the eye, Paul says, when it's talking about this, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Uh, and the, the hand cannot say, because I'm not an eye, I'm no longer part of the body. No, th- there has to be a very, very different. Uh, and the body, if, if my liver and my eye had a discussion about what they're supposed to be doing, uh, they would have a fight because the liver is all about <laughs> refining blood and cleaning it and sending it on and the eyes all about focus and contraction and, and, you know, and they would both be right and they'd both be wrong because they're only a part of a greater whole. So all of these gifts are required in the body. And so my, my gift when it comes to grace is to, is to be as, as faithful as I can with the grace God gave me. And I, and I use it to serve the body. Uh, When it comes to the gifts that Jesus gave, uh, my job is to is to submit myself to the leaders that he appoints because part of the gifting on apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is that they equip us. And if we walk in how they equip us, we grow up, we become mature. Yeah. So part of our maturation process is how well we cooperate with the gifts that Jesus gives. And then in the manifestation gifts, um, as we eagerly desire and we, and we're open to being taught and, and shown a better way, the more mature we can come in, in the in expression of those gifts, the more efficient, the more effective they are, sorry. Uh, the, the more effective those gifts become in other people's lives. And the whole point is that we are the delivery people of those gifts. I'm like the UPS guy. I bring this profound gift. I did not create the gift. 
I'm just a delivery person that God chose to use. But the UPS guy doesn't ring my doorbell and stand there and say, what did I bring you? Open it up. I want to see. Um, so he it's doesn't true. brag about point. the fact that he created the gift. You should applaud. I brought you a gift. Yeah. No, he just delivers it faithfully. And so in manifestation gifts, uh, our job is to, is to faithfully deliver the, the peace that God gave us, not to make stuff up, not to look better, not to try and be important, not to stand around and be nosy. Our job is to deliver the peace and with, a, with as gracious a manner as we can. And so I think that it, as we learn these things and as we develop, because everybody needs to grow up in these things, just like anything else in our life, the first time you did anything wasn't the best time. You have to learn. You grow. You get better with use. And so the spiritual gifts are no different. And I think as people eagerly desire them, uh, you begin to function in them. And the more you function in them, the more joyful and fun-filled life becomes. Yeah. Has there, can you give us a personal example? Has there been a gift that you eagerly desired and you saw the Lord um, begin to kind of move in, in your life and it really just opened up an area of abundance that you hadn't experienced before as you, as he moved yeah. it through you in that way? I really desired, when I first came into understanding of this, I really desired the word of knowledge, where the Lord would give me some knowledge that I didn't have, and it's usually tied to some healing or to some prophetic word or some encouragement. <clears throat> and so I began to lean in and ask and say, Holy Spirit, please give me. And he, he began to tell me about people who were in the, in the room. I, oftentimes I was in a church meeting, and he'd say, there's somebody here, and this is, this is the situation, and this is sometimes he'd give me their name or this is the condition. And now you're stuck because you've asked and now you've got some knowledge that came into your head and now you go, well, was that God? Was that me? And so, you know, you've had, I had to learn how to express that in the meeting and say, I believe there's somebody here. And sometimes th that has got very specific to uh, the other day in, in one of the services, I felt the Lord burdened me with a person's name and their, their date of birth and told wow. me about a condition that they had and, uh, spoke about their second name. And so I, you know, I was preaching and the Lord, the Lord was just kind of insistent. So I stopped my sermon. I said, look, I think there's a lady here. This is your second name and this is your birthday. And, uh, and you know, so now you're either right or wrong. There's, you know, there's no, and so there's I said, gray there. put up her hand and she was visiting the church and she said, yeah, it was me. And so we, we wow. and so I had one of the elders just go gently pray with her. Cause I know that's pretty weird. I mean, if you come to a church and somebody does that to you? And I say that to you. I say, I know this is really strange, but I feel like the Lord is insistent with this. And I think the reason he wanted to do it for her was because he wanted to let her know that he sees her. And, and it was a long story attached, but it was, a, it was a beautiful manifestation of God's kindness and his heart of love to her and her daughter. And that was what the word was about. And so I've, I've seen the Lord bring people up focused for healing. The first time I ever trusted the Lord for a word of knowledge in a public place, I felt like the Lord said, there's a lady here, her name is Helen, and she's had heart palpitations for many years. And now I'm stuck because I go, well, you know, you're either right or wrong. So I, so I just said, look, I, you know, I don't mind being wrong. So I stood up and, and said, look, I believe there's a lady here, her name is Helen, and, and you've had heart palpitations. And then a couple of other people had words of knowledge, and then they called for anybody who wanted to come. And uh, people prayed. And this lady who she got up and gave a testimony, she said, my name is Helen. I've had heart palpitations for 12 years now. And the doctors can't, they hadn't been able to fix it. And she said, they just prayed for me right here. And, and for the first time in my life, for the first time in 12 years, my heart went back into normal rhythm and I don't have heart palpitations. Wow. 
so we've seen some, but again, I wasn't the one who prayed for her for healing. Um, I, I never met her personally, but I've seen, I've seen, so I, I love the word of knowledge and I've seen, you know, the many, many stories like that um, where it has been just an amazing, amazing opportunity to see God's kindness made manifest. That is so cool. And I think, you know, when the Lord is that specific, in like like you said, you're either right or you're wrong, and it just it really he's really showing his glory and his power, and and like you said, it's almost like he's calling someone by name, by their birthday or by their health issue. It's yeah. it's actually so incredibly loving, but it takes this huge leap of faith from the person that receives it from you to like actually say it publicly. Because what if no one comes up? Has that ever happened? <laughs> it's happened quite often actually. That people won't respond in the meeting, but will respond after the meeting. Mm. They'll, they'll come to me and say, yeah, that was me. I just didn't want to, you know. And uh, so you end up in the meeting looking a little foolish because people go, oh, he missed it. But then, so that's happened quite often. And um, a, a very small percentage of the time, there's no response. Yeah. But, you know, I, I figure, you know, between you and I, between any human relationship, uh, there, at some stage there's going to be a communication error. I'm going to mishear something you say or misunderstand something you meant. And so... You know, it, for us to expect that there'll be zero, we'll never miss God, we'll always hear exactly right. I, I think that's not not understanding. Sometimes you're going to be eager and trying and, and not hear it correctly or didn't come out right. And I think you can't let that discourage you for the many, many times that you do hear accurately and people's lives are transformed because of it. Yeah. And you said earlier, you know, that these gifts, they're always to serve others and they're always, um, they're always expressed in love. And I think that's the safeguard because I think fear can keep us from, if I miss it once and I hurt somebody, it's better for me to not even try, but right. Because I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to get it wrong or lead someone astray or disappoint them. But if it's always administered in love with that, I feel like God, he protects, right? Isn't that such a safeguard? Oh, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail exactly on the head because that's exactly the, the framing that Paul puts this whole discussion on gifts. Uh, in chapter 13 of Corinthians, he, he talks about love. This, these gifts must be embedded in the lifestyle of love. And uh, when they are, uh, they just produce encouragement, tenderness, kindness, gentleness, and uh, the service to other people. In all gifts are designed for that sphere and so when we stay and remain in that sphere of love the gifts very very seldom can hurt people um even even if you know it's it's mismanaged or poorly spoken or immaturely brought if i if i stay in the motive of love if i genuinely want to care for other people uh, those people still get blessed and cared for and loved so Mm. uh, i think that's exactly the motive That's beautiful. So Greg, in closing, if there's just kind of one, just, um, just message of hope that you would give people who are listening and saying, I'm curious, I'm intrigued. I, I, I think I know maybe, you know, one of my gifts is, is hospitality or admin or creativity or, or leadership. But, but I think that there's more that God wants to do through me. What would you say? Like, what is the, the word of encouragement you would say for people who are curious to, to learn more about the gifts of spirit and, and maybe, maybe believe that God wants to move through them. Holy Spirit wants to administrate God's power through them in a way that they've never experienced before. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think make sure that you're based in a local church under, under you know, good spiritual leaders 
And uh, so submit yourself in a local church, eagerly desire them, and then practice. I mean, I think that's pretty much the three things. And, you know, you're going to, the more you eagerly desire and the more practice you put in, uh, you know, if your gift is is leadership, for example, uh, start leading. Start somewhere. That's good. Yeah. You're going to learn. I mean, you, your grace is, is innate. Some people just are naturally, they have leadership in them, but that doesn't mean they can't learn and um, the, the general idea here is if you walk in humility, God adds grace to the humble. Mm. If you walk in love, that produces clarity. And if you walk in humility, um, you'll pretty much stay in exactly the space that the Holy Spirit wants you to be in. So um, that would be my recommendation for those people. That's so helpful, Greg. You know, that's that's really what my husband and I did when we we really wanted to to experience more of the flow of the prophetic. You know, we wanted words of encouragement for other people that were from the Lord, and we've just we received that gift so many times, and in our church family with you, and um, we really wanted to be a part of of the prophetic. And so we started practicing at home. So we would wait on the Lord and say, God, would you tell me something for my spouse and practicing on each other? It was such a safe environment. Like we couldn't hurt each other. It's okay if we messed up or maybe we said, Hey, I didn't hear anything. It's like, great. Okay. We'll just try again another day. But, but having a safe place, like a friend, a mentor, a family member, a spouse to practice with, um, for me, it really helped let my guard down, alleviate some of my fears and just try. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think if you want to try, I think absolutely doing it in your family is the first place to start anyway. I think doing it in, in your prayer closet, uh, I, I began to ask the Lord for words of knowledge about people. I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray for that person about? And I would just dedicate five minutes. And, and I learned in prayer how to hear God's voice for other people. How do I encourage them? What do you want me to pray for, Lord? And, the, and so at, at a minimum, I gave five minutes of prayer for other people. But then very often when I'd bump into those people, I said, you know, I was praying for you the other day and I felt like I should pray for these things. And and it started to happen with incredible regularity that they'd go, that's amazing. How did you know? Well, I felt like the Lord led me to pray for those things for you. And after you've done that and you've had a hundred or so of those where people go, that's astounding. You know, you start to grow in confidence. Like, I think I'm actually hearing God. I think this is what the Lord is saying. And so I think that's one of the best ways too, in the context of your own prayer life, go after these gifts. I love it. And that's what we're after. We want to live a life where we hear God and we feel God and he moves through us and his name is made great. I mean, that's the dream. And yeah. I think that, you know, understanding the gifts and, and being brave enough to trust the Lord and say, God, will you move through me in a, in a fresh way? Um, I think that's part of living an abundant life in Christ. It's available to us. Like you described, it is available if we want it. Yeah. Well, Greg, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. And we just appreciate it so much. Would you close us out in prayer? Yeah, I'd love to, Jenny. Thank you. Father, we come to you to say uh, you are immensely kind. You're the kindest person we've ever met. And we give you honor and thanks. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that he came and that he accomplished so much beauty and such a complete salvation. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, for your leadership and your guidance. Uh, Lord, you, you're just immensely kind. We, we can't get over that. We say thank you, Lord. I pray for every person listening that you would, uh, Lord, move us all downfield, that you'd, uh, Lord, stir faith, that you'd inspire, Lord, a confidence in everybody listening, that a new day would come. And, Lord, what seemed impossible yesterday would now be imminently sensible.
And so, Father, I bless them with your kindness and your guidance. And I thank you, Lord, that they're going to walk into things that they've only ever dreamed of. Uh, Lord, we pray this so that Jesus can be glorified. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg. Y'all have a great day. You too. Thanks so much for listening today. If you missed my last interview with Greg, be sure to check out episode 10 and listen in as we talk about hearing from God. If you want to hear more from Greg, you can always go to northlands.church slash watch and listen to any of the sermons. I hope you have a joyful day full of hope and favor. See y'all next time.